What's up? What's up, you guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to the fourth episode of The Hustle Theory. I am so excited for you guys to hear from our guest today. We have Ahmed Ismail. Can you say your name real quick? It's uh, Ahmed Ismail, and uh, thank you for having me, Jenny. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on here, and I'm uh, super excited to have some convo today. Yes, thank you. I was like, uh, I'm going to butcher your name, and I butchered your name, but Honestly, we like we initially met during what that entrepreneur. It was kind of like an accelerator program for our school, but I don't really think we really got into I guess like connecting, like really connecting until we got back to Iowa State, and then from there, I you've always been someone I've kind of looked up to and I've always wanted to like follow and you know see what you're up to. But yeah, so would you mind just kind of? Oh, thank you. Would you mind just kind of giving us your background, what you're up to, you know, just tell us what you do, basically. Yeah, for sure. So uh, a little bit by myself, I'm an industrial engineer. Uh, however, don't really think of myself as an engineer too much. I kind of am all over the place. Uh, I was originally born and raised in Sudan. Uh, so grew up in a very different environment, came to Iowa when I was about nine years old and culture shock, you know, like I had grown up around black folks my whole life, never seen white people until like, you know, hop on the plane and here I am like thinking like, oh my God, y'all are real? Like I've only seen you on TV, <laughs> like what? So come to Iowa and, uh, you know, coming here, like there's a big difference for me because, you know, I see my parents working as engineers back home and uh, giving all that up for me to be able to have a chance to, you know, a better life here through all these opportunities being in the U.S. that a lot of people, you know, kind of take for granted. But my, you know, always had entrepreneurs in my family. Like my mom actually had her own business growing up. Uh, she, you know, was an electrical engineer had clients that were the U.S. Embassy, French Embassy, IBM, Care International, and then move over here, you know, your degree doesn't really mean anything if you have a degree that's not from the U.S. and you try to move here, and you typically have to get, like, sponsored by a company, which is extremely hard, but she wasn't able to do that, went to be a daycare assistant, and, you know, my dad was a mechanical engineer prior to moving, working with ships in Greece, and uh, when we went to Iowa, he was in the same thing there, he was able to get sponsored, so I saw my parents kind of give up a lot for me, so, you know, kind of growing up, I always was a driven kid. Like I didn't know how I was going to get it. I just knew I was going to get it. And uh, fast forward to today, uh, I'm currently on, you know, my senior year of college and uh, currently working on the national board for the National Society of Black Engineers, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. And our goal is to, you know, increase the number of culturally responsible black engineers who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. Right now, I'm currently uh, helping work on our strategic plan for the next five to years, particularly for the national org and working with strategy consultants, our national director and national chair, some amazing people. And uh, outside of that, I'm also trying to set up my own nonprofit. One thing I'm very passionate about, as Jenny knows, is financial literacy. Every time we talk, we're always talking money. How are we building generational wealth? How are we going to, you know, set ourselves on a great path to make sure, you know, we're financially stable moving forward. But that's a little bit by myself, just a little, you know, things I do here and there. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I just, every time we talk, I feel like I always just get this burst of inspiration because there's so many things that, you know, like you said, your parents, they came to America and you have to sacrifice a lot and people really do not realize. And I didn't even realize that honestly. And like, I grew up with them in the house and I don't realize how much they had to sacrifice until now where I can appreciate it all and understand how hard it really is. Cause you know, our parents are always trying to be strong in front of us and they're not trying to show the hardship. So 
now that I'm older, I am definitely realizing that as much as you see the typical, you know, traditional family that grew up in America and things like that, I thought, what's wrong with my family? Why don't I have those things? Why don't we live the same way? And it's just the reality. We just didn't grow up the same way. They didn't have the same circumstances. And, you know, that's totally fine. But like you said, like your parents, they were able to do a lot, you know, back home in Sudan, but they weren't able to translate that over here in America. Yeah. And it's, it's a true story for a lot of immigrants. And, you know, as children, it also were really young. So it's kind of hard for us to understand these things. Uh, I think for me, I had perspective that, you know, it was a little different because I was able to kind of learn that at a younger age where most people, even though they might have came from the same environment, didn't have that perspective. You know, for me, particularly, there's a, a period in my life where, you know, my parents and I, we didn't even have our own home. We were kind of like just going from house to house, uh, depending on family members. And like when you're in that state, it's almost like you don't really comprehend everything as a child. But, you know, there's a switch that lets you know, like, oh, like shit's different. Like mm-hmm. everyone needs to be on a shit, not just mom and dad. But like if you're in this household, like you, you're going to be on your shit. There's no there's no room for like messing around. So like I was really independent as a kid. Like my dad would be, pretty much be coming back home from work as I'm like heading to school because he works the night shift. And like I come back from school he's you know sleeping so don't bother him uh mom's currently working on her studies you know trying to get her degree again so like i have my own key to the crib and i'm like i'm 13 and always been independent in that sense and like having experiences where you don't necessarily have your own home you don't not like every day is like promised or guaranteed as a kid like really gives you a different mindset so for me like i was trying to do things uh differently so like if it was me helping my dad fix up cars great and then like i'd go to my high school I know everyone, like, as soon as they church 16, like, oh, you need a car? Like, oh, you know, like, I'm trying to help sell wherever I can because my English is better. Or, like, I'd be going to the bank with my parents because, you know, their English wasn't the best, be, like, translating at the bank. So I'm just like, okay, I understand what's going on, but I got to make sure I can explain it to them in some way because they're the ones that are handing out money, not me. And here I am, like, I have no experience with money, and I'm trying to understand what this banker is saying and explain that in Arabic. And I don't understand these terms. So like for me, like it just it was a switch necessarily that I also didn't even recognize kind of flip for me till like later on in life and you kind of like reflect on these things. Wow, yeah. It's so crazy to know that we can't we came from very different, you know, backgrounds, countries. I was born here in America, but having to translate, like it's crazy because like whenever I'm communicating, like right now I help pay my parents' bills and stuff, and like I have to be the one communicating, you know hey, like we're moving everything online instead of having to like go to the place and pay these things or like doing all these things and like negotiating or like whenever we have someone call about, you know, whatever it is, it always ends up being me on the phone trying to explain to them what they're saying because it's just like, there's just a lot of miscommunication. But, you know, like looking back, it's just, we're kind of forced to grow up faster than what is normal. Um, Like if you're not in these circumstances and that at first it's just for me at least I was very like why do I have to do a bunch of things on my own or even figuring out college like no one in my family was able to my brother didn't graduate from college so when I was going to college I had to figure out scholarships I had to figure out the like FAFSA stuff and all those things and it was just foreign territory for my parents and I would see my friend's parents do all those things for them and then they would be like what are you doing and I'm I'm like I'm trying to figure out how I can go to college (laughs) you know they're like why doesn't your parents do that? I feel like I heard that a lot. Why don't your parents do that? Why don't they do this? And it's like, well, it's kind of different. They, they can't. 
Yeah, in our communities, like black communities, immigrant communities, just like low income communities in general, like when you hit 16, like you're considered a man, woman now. Like you're, it's expected that you just grow up fast. And like, uh, for me, like similar to you, like I had to figure out for myself, like my first time talking to someone about going to college was literally the day I filled out my application. Mm-hmm. I went up to my dad, I'm like, yo, I need $20. He's like, okay, what you need a 20 for? Like, <laughs> you got a job. You know, but he's just like, hey, I'm applying to college. I, I need to fill out this application. And that's my first combo. Like us in local communities too, like when people kind of see us, they typically sometimes also think to themselves, like, you know, they don't want to do these things. No, we want better for ourselves, but it's also a very like low-income communities are very low opportunity. Mm-hmm. And our communities, we're not going to see investment bankers, we're not seeing engineers, we're not seeing consultants, doctors, or people that are equity owners, because if you make that type of bread, you're not going to be in low-income community. You're going to have a nice crib and your property value is not going to be your low-income homes because if they are, that means the property your house just went down. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're surrounded with people that are from these same places. And when we look at income, what are we really seeing, right? You see athletics. That's typically a, a way that, you know, kids make it out. You might see like an artist and then, you know, you got your street pharmacist. But outside of that, you're not really seeing too many different examples of a hustle, like, everyone hustles at the end of the day, but you're not seeing different ways to hustle. Like we're not going to get taught that, Hey, like you could literally just, you know, get some life insurance and ensure that your children are going to be good. You can go get into real estate. Well, we don't own, like, for example, uh, here in Iowa, if you look at the amount of African-Americans we have about 75% of African-Americans here in Iowa rent instead of own yet the actual number for the whole state of Iowa is about 25% why are we doing three times worse in that category, right? And things like that really kind of trickle down. Like if you look at poverty, 37% of, you know, African-Americans in Iowa are in poverty, whereas the statewide average is only like 11.2%. It really doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the fact that we're siloed when it comes to this information. And although we're going to school, like, have you ever learned taxes in school? Right. We don't, we do not learn that shit in school. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you, just, you do it every year and if you yeah. do it wrong, guess what happens? You're going to jail. <laughs> exactly. And that's more like, money. That's, that's just a, It's a huge cycle. Yeah. And that's something I just love about your mindset and like what you do and what you're passionate about is financial li- literacy. You know, when you grow up in the hood or whatever, you always see the, you see the come up stories like, oh my gosh, he made it into like the league. He did this, he did that. But it's like, all these glamorized industries, but they don't realize that there are so many other opportunities where you can have your own come up also. And that is like you said, being like an accountant, being a doctor or doing all those other things. But since they don't see it enough happen in their communities, they only see those people like the very few people that, you know, become athletes or whatever, or rappers, whatever it is. They don't see that. And they don't, that's not something that inspires them because it's not something that feels tangible to them. And that's why I think that like financial literacy is such a huge thing. And it really should be taught when we're literally in like middle school or whatever it is, those things need to be taught at an early age. Yeah. Like a lot of parents to honestly, like you're delusional. If you think your kids for sure, making it to league, they have a chance. It's not guaranteed. And that chance is one in a billion. And that's to say they're not getting injured. They're not getting in trouble. You know, their grades are on point. Like the stars have to align. And on top of that, there's no guarantee that they're going to be tall or like have a certain type of build in order to go right. to that league. So for me, like it was like junior year of high school, like, I, you know, I'm playing basketball, the varsity team. And like, I'm realizing myself like, wow, like 
these people are really good. Like, this is not a career for me. I'm literally the only person in my year as well as the year before me that literally didn't end up playing a college sport, except one of the kid. Everyone else went like, you know, went to college for a sport. And like, for me, I'm thinking to myself, like, even from them, there's going to be only just maybe one of them that actually makes it to the league. Till this day, only like two of them are actually just playing uh, basketball internationally and one of them's playing uh, baseball for the Indians. Mm. And you just look at how small that percentage is and it's really not guaranteed at all. So mm. you have to think to yourself, okay, what is my plan B? Because if I don't have this basketball taking me somewhere or this football or this baseball taking me somewhere, you got to find something else. And for me, like, I didn't know what I was going to do in college. Like, I just knew, like, I didn't want to have nothing. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm going to go. When I get there, I figure it out. And that's the biggest thing is I think in our communities, like, how many, how many people from our communities are even getting pulled aside by, like, counselors in high school saying, hey, where are you thinking about post, you know, uh, high school? Yeah. I didn't get asked. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wasn't getting asked for sure. And a thing about that too is like, okay, well, if they don't go to college too, which if you do get a college degree, your chances of escaping poverty jump up 90%. Wow. If your chances are not jumping up by 90%, what is your plan? What are you right. doing? And if you do go to college too, you better not just come there for no reason. Like you need to figure out how this paper is going to give you the certificate, you know, or the license to start something mm -hmm. else or do something whether it's get an engineering job, make some money or get a job as a doctor, get a job as a, a lawyer. Maybe it's to help you start your business. But the last thing you want to do is go to college, come out with no job and just come out with debt. Yeah. Because you need some sort of plan. Right. No, absolutely. And that's like another thing I feel like I've had to, or just even like my other friends who like, not even just people who are of people of color, but people who just grew up in low, like with a low income family, when they get to college, it's just, it becomes a lot more appreciated because you're like, I don't have time or room to fuck around. I cannot waste yeah. this money because if I do, I'm only digging myself into a bigger hole and my family is going to be dragged along with that. So I think I really like your point about having those like kind of plan B's because I feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm all about chasing a dream. I'm mm -hmm. all about it. You know, I'm all about fighting for what you really are passionate about, but at the same time, I think it needs to be done like intentionally and like with purpose, because if you aren't actually doing and like recognizing where you can see this dream going, if you're not really envisioning that and you're not putting in the work that's actually going to take you there, it's just it's like a fantasy, you know? And I feel like that's a lot facts. of people fantasize about becoming big or doing these great big things, but they're not, they don't have the resources and they're not doing the work to find those resources to get them to where they need to be in order to make that dream a reality. And I think that's one of the saddest parts I see in a lot of people because I, I love to see a dreamer. Like it really makes me like super happy to see these people like passionate and things like that. But it hurts me more to see people like do these things, but then like not actually take action and just kind of be like all talk, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the American dream, that, that whole story, that's all cap. Like mm -hmm. you really have to think about how we're doing as a country and the fact that a lot of us. A lot of students come to college just thinking, okay, I get my degree, I get my job, I did it. Mm -hmm. Life's life's done. But in reality, like you just made it out the first quarter. Like you might be 22, but guess what? You can you can live till 44. You can live till 60, 80. Mm -hmm. Like you literally just got out the first quarter. So if anything, like, what do you mean you're done? Right. You were never actually thinking about what's gonna happen after this first quarter. And so many kids like might come to college and be like, you know, I have to do this just because it's what everyone does, or I have to do this because my parents did it. And 
right now the U.S. national debt is insane. Like if you if you take the U.S. national debt and divide it by the amount of citizens we have, it's around 85k per citizen. <laughs> and if you look at how much money our government makes and you divide that by the amount of citizens, it's less than 20k a person. There's over a 60k deficit of debt per citizen in the United States. And the crazy part is, it's mostly all the money is just at the top. Yeah. And as much as I hate capitalism, you know, like you have to understand economics. The only way you're going to win is you just need to have some money. Yeah. Like it makes no, it doesn't matter what you want to do. And you don't need to be some money greedy person. You don't need to be someone that's only interested in yourself, but like shit is really not sustainable without money. Like even if you're someone that's like very community oriented, like your community work can be self-sustainable. Like it doesn't mean you need to go ask for bread all the time. Mm. Like imagine like, you've raised the fund or like you worked hard enough to get yourself like a million or 10 million. The average return on stock market per year, including the great recession is like seven to 8% return. If you have 10 million in there, you're making about 700 K a year by doing nothing. You could literally pull 200 K aside, keep the rest for yourself or take some, put the rest in and just say, all right, this is dedicated for me giving. It's going to employ someone in the community to be a full-time employee just for that community to do work for that community. The other hundred K could you be, you literally just hiring an accountant. And at that point it's, it's taken off like turning a hundred dollars into 110. That's just called work, but turning like 10 million to 11 million. That's just called inevitable at that point. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Dropping those gems. I feel like I'm like learning so much right now. That's no, but for real, it's, it's one of these things that we don't talk about enough when it comes to money, but it's not taught. Like if, no, no bank is going to come to you and be like, Jenny, here, here's how you should be more responsible with your money. Yeah. No, I want to eat. Like, I, yeah. I want you to miss these payments. I right, want that exactly. interest. I want to foreclose your home because that's a lot of money. Like the average credit card debt in the U.S. is also like a little bit above a thousand dollars. And think about how much interest that might end up being. It might be like maybe a hundred dollars worth of interest, but think about how many human beings have credit cards. Mm-hmm. They are eating and like, for a predator, they're not going to go to a gazelle and say, Hey, here's how you get away from me. But for us, we can be like, yo, Jenny, like, I just learned this, like, they're coming from that way. Like, let's, let's go teach each other. But that's one thing that's not shared enough. Like we have to share that type of information amongst each other more. And you know, it's also kind of like amazing that you brought that point is that type of knowledge is free when you're sharing it. And people are so like, as much as making sure that we have like our own money and things like that are really important we can help people, we can help communities just by sharing that information that we're retaining ourselves and making sure people like that information is being communicated well enough for people to want to understand and understand why it's important for them to understand and not just kind of like blow that information over their heads. Like, oh, like that stuff is never going to mean anything to me because I'm stuck in this situation. But that's never the case. You always have the chance to get out of whatever shitty situation you're in. There's always a chance up. Like you're never going to be stuck where you're at. If you're stuck where you're at, that's kind of up to you. Yeah. And that's the thing too. It's uh, being broke is temporary, but being poor is more of a mindset. And it's a hard mindset to get out of, you know, as someone, you know, like my first year of college, uh, my family income is like 15K, mm-hmm. right? Like to me, when I'm seeing people like that have like, you know, nice clothes or things like that, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, they're better than me. Mm-hmm. In reality though, that's not the case. Like I truly believe like there's no one better than me, but at the same time, I'm not better than anyone else. Like we're all human beings at the end of the day. And that's a hard mindset to, to actually take on. It's easy to say, but for someone to like truly believe that in their head, 
is different because we always see people that might, you know, have more money, have more, you know, accomplishments. And we just think to ourselves automatically that we're not qualified. We, we're not good enough. But in reality, it's anything they've achieved, you're capable of achieving. And matter of fact, the blueprint exists. So it's nothing more than you just seeking out that information and dedicating yourself to doing it. But it's hard too when you're broke because like you're too focused on today. Mm -hmm. right? When you're focused on just like, let me eat today, it's, it's, you don't really have the privilege of getting to plan for tomorrow as much. You do have a window. It's just very short relative to everyone else. But when you do get that chance, really do think about it, really do go seek out information. So like for me, like when I came to college, like I didn't have connects, like I didn't have people that can give me information, but I look for them. And today I have like great mentors. Like I have, you know, uh, a monthly call with the vice president of technology and operations for NeuroCore is a great mentor of mine, Brent Carlson. And then I monthly call with, you know, the president of media sales from BT and they're just giving me game. And it's literally just the, the, the fact that I asked and I said, hey, I have a, a goal of achieving generational wealth. I'm dedicated to it. Here's my current plan. Here's how I'm doing. Let me get your feedback and like, see what you think. And now it just turned into a monthly call where I get that feedback from have another person that literally they own 20 residential properties and 20 commercial properties. I've never thought about real estate in that way. Like every time someone says real estate, what do you think? You think a house? You think, well, I mean, I guess like I'm a little bit different. I've been doing research, but I'll pretend yeah. like I just think like a house, like an apartment, but I yeah, definitely, like, I definitely see where this is going. <laughs> for most of your, for most of the listeners here, like if you are listening right now and you're thinking of real estate, you're thinking of a home. Mm -hmm. Well, what if I told you you can own a Costco? Like, see that i'm not thinking about yeah like imagine just owning a whole costco like mo most people don't think about this but most offices are not bought they're rented like yeah. amazon you can buy stock in amazon or you can buy stock in the company that amazon pays rent to it's called a reit and you can look into them and they give good dividends and that's another thing too dividends what are dividends right like imagine every three months that if you get if you just had two thousand dollars stored away that every three months someone would say Here's 5% of your 3,000. A savings account gives you 2% a year. And that's, and then a day that's really $0 because inflation is 2%. So like if you have $100 right now, your $100 next year would be 2% less. So if it increased 2%, you really just, you're in the same place. But if you're getting dividends every three months, it's crazy. Cause like uh, something I just recently did, I learned this from a, a podcast I listened to called Earn Your Leisure. Uh, they had this guy on there named Wall Street Trapper crazy gem he dropped crazy gem this dude you know was in jail learned everything there is to know about stocks and what he pretty much ended up saying was here's how you can finesse with dividends imagine you look at a company like at&t their dividend yield is seven percent so that means every three months they will give you seven percent of your money if you put 5k in there you're getting 7k you're getting uh seven percent of 5k now if you know exactly how much you pay for your phone bill i know i pay 40 dollars a month for my phone bill Multiply by three, I need $120 every three months to pay off my phone bill. Now, if AT&T's dividend gives me enough money back for my phone bill, I'm not going to pay my phone bill for the rest of my life. So I actually have enough money AT&T right now set up in a way that every time, you know, a quarter hits, whether it's quarter one, two, three, four, I'm taking that dividend and I'm putting on my phone bill. So starting like literally two quarters ago, I haven't paid a phone bill and I don't intend to ever pay my phone bill for the rest of my life. AT&T is going to pay for it. Dude, hell yes. I did not know about all that stuff. And in my head now, I'm like, I'm just getting like excited and I'm going to literally play this episode over and over again and look up all this stuff later. Learning just how to like have money work for you. That's powerful. It really yeah. is. You, your money at the end of the day is when we spend it, what we're actually doing is we're unemploying it. 
our money is an employee if we use it the right way. And if you have enough employees, you don't have to show up to work, right? So if you have enough invested, what's the point of working? Like your ROI could be so fat, like your return on investment could be enough for you to literally take some and put some right back in and it just continues a cycle that's just never ending. And it gets crazy too, because the richer you are, the actually the more money you keep, it's the opposite. Like we don't realize it, but Trump paid less in taxes than me and you. Like there are people out here that earn less than 30 K a year that paid more in taxes than Trump, uh, a multi-billionaire. Amazon paid zero dollars in taxes. Like, how's that happen? Like literally they understand how this game works and it's not explained, but Amazon really what they have is they have a company set up in the Cayman islands, no office, nothing. It's just a postal address. And this company actually owns all the intellectual property for Amazon. And what they end up doing is literally they rent, their intellectual property from another company they don't own it and they rent it for a specific cost at the end of the year when it's they see how much they made the company tells them hey how much did you make oh you made 300 billion you renting this ip is going to be 300 billion now uncle sam comes in and says uh you made 300 billion you're not taxed on 300 billion though because the way businesses are taxed is you earn you spend and then you're taxed so they spent it on a quote-unquote business expense Mm-hmm. and that's legal it's a loophole you're not getting in trouble for that you're not going to jail or nothing and they said it was a business expense zero dollars left so you get taxed on zero dollars mm-hmm. and if you want to avoid like let's say you have a you you have someone inheriting your money if you go to the french island of uh, jersey there's no inheritance tax so you could literally just set up a postal address there done deal no inheritance tax the Cook Islands, like by the Philippines, it's been nicknamed the Cook Islands at this point just because of how much finessing you could do when it comes to tax law. And it's all legal. And at the end of the day, all they just keep doing is they just keep moving this money all around mm-hmm. and it just can't be taxed till it's actually like touched and brought down. Right. No. And that's like, like, at least for me, I'm not really going to waste my energy, especially because at least like for both of us, we are more entrepreneurial. So we know at the end of the day, we're going to have a business where we can like take business tax, write it off as a business expense and things like that. But what I feel like is I'm, I feel like a lot of people, like they saw all those like tax things come out, like, Oh my God, they're fraud, blah, blah, blah. And you know, obviously some of it's like, damn, they're really doing that. Like, this is how the rich stay rich in my head. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time complaining about it and just being super butthurt about it. I'm going to use my time on how I can be part of that game. So I'm not a victim of it. And I'm not someone victimizing myself all over it too, you know? And I think that's what I'm excited about is I feel like our generation and younger generations and just even like where like society's kind of going with right now, I feel like entrepreneurship's been more glamorized in a sense where it feels like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. Like that's sexy. That's cool. But they don't realize how much hard work it actually is. But besides the point, people are wanting to become their own boss and people are getting tired of corporate America. People are getting tired of working the nine to five, things like that. And I love to see more and more people wanting to have that entrepreneurial spirit, but now use that to your advantage and stop letting yourself be a pawn in this whole like game of wealth and generational curses and cycles and things like that. Work it to its fullest and actually get what you need to out of this whole entrepreneurial journey or like, don't let it just be a trend. Let it be something that will help you create a legacy for your family. That's facts. And uh, it really comes back to, I think, like self-awareness because like a lot of us, when we go into a business, we're, we're excited. We're like, oh, this idea is going to be it. It's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And we realize, oh, like, oh, it didn't sell. It didn't work. And 
a lot of businesses actually fail. Most of them end up failing. Like if you're not ready to really just truly fail and like continuously fail, you're, you're not going to be successful as an entrepreneur. Cause like at the end of the day, all you do is even for these uh, multi-million dollar companies, like when the CEO shows up, they're really just putting out fires. Their whole goal is just to keep the ship afloat at yeah. that point. Like whoever he or she is at that point is like, that's your full-time job. That's why a CEO gets millions. And like the end of the day, a CEO is really not a boss. They're really just the highest up manager. Like at the end of the day, like the board of directors can literally just fire a CEO just like that through votes. So like, for example, like we look at Iowa State, the president, uh, President Winterstein. She's really not the the big honcho. Like if she wants to make a change overnight, it can't happen. Right. She reports to the board of regents. And that board consists of uh, someone that owns the largest construction company in Iowa, someone that owns the largest bank in Iowa, uh, owner of the largest hospital, and just some other really rich people. None of us know who they are, but yet they own Iowa State University. They own the University of Iowa and UNI. And I think maybe uh, Drake, I'm not sure on that, but they own those three, the three biggest universities in Iowa. And the same is true across, you know, like all other states. And what we don't realize is don't, don't focus on being the CEO, focus on being an owner, mm-hmm. focus on just having equity. That's really what it's about at the end of the day. Because if you have equity, like the CEO just run, runs everything for you. Just you show up and go as you please and you vote on certain things when you want to. You have a problem with that CEO or that president, you fire him, you hire a new one. And at the end of the day, all you care for is getting your money. And the craziest part too is like, for us, like uh, protesting everything. Like for me, you know, I started a BLM chapter. I was curious as to like, what does, what do like revolutions, what do, you know, protests, what, what do these things do for the wealth gap? If you actually look at the history, there's a, a documentary, a great documentary on this called Capitalism in the 21st Century. My friend uh, put me onto this. But it's literally just historians and economists literally just trying to answer that exact question. And they go back to the 17th century and pretty much trying to determine, okay, based on all this history, what are we predicting today? Back in the 17th century, if you were poor, that was a death sentence. Like the average life expectancy was 17 back then for broke people. Today, things have been much better than they've ever been. But at the same time, it's not equal by any means. Mm -hmm. We actually are at a tipping point right now for the first time ever, there's a small group of people that are on track to earn less than their parents, which has never been the case. And if you look at what happened, like through all these revolutions throughout history, what happens to the wealth gap is it doesn't decrease. It just stays consistent for like maybe a month or so, and then just continues back on the same trend. So like the French Revolution, uh, this was when France just revolted, everything was going to crap. Literally, it did nothing for wealth inequality there. Although the, the, the people at the bottom went up a little bit, but the people at the top, they also went up at the same rate. So the gap was still the same. And eventually they started growing even faster since they had more money. So we really need to really think about, okay, although this stuff starts in the streets, it's not where it ends. Because if we don't understand money, we really can't get the things we want. We need people in healthcare making a difference, people um, you know, that are in education making a difference. We need people as entrepreneurs that are making a difference when it comes to our communities. But the fight really doesn't, it, it starts in the streets, but it never ends there. It's much bigger than that. And it really is all tied about money because the only way I truly think you can like actually have freedom is you, you have to be able to buy it. Otherwise you're always trading your time for money. Mm-hmm.
So let me ask you this. This is something I actually haven't even really like talked much about with because I'll be honest, like you, you and I both know, Iowa State, we're in Iowa, very conservative state, mm-hmm. predominantly white. And being in the entrepreneurial community, being heavily involved in the entrepreneurial community, something that I have always felt very uncomfortable with is just expressing being a person of a, like a minority. Have you ever like kind of experienced anything where you were just like, just kind of like mind blown how some things were said and it's just like, I'm right here. Cause I love the fact that you are such an advocate for the Black Lives Matter. Like you literally a leader in the Ames community doing all this stuff. I see you do all that. I see you organize these things and speak and in front of all these people and just kind of like, just give inspiration to all these people. But then I also see you like grind and hustle. And like, I think you can see that entrepreneurship typically lies more conservative, more whatever. But I feel like nowadays we're starting to see kind of a shift where business isn't, it's not being ruled by like one party. Like now it's becoming kind of like business is just everywhere now, you know, and like you're seeing different companies standing up for the things that they believe in. And like, it's more about their brand and what they believe in rather than, you know, just trying to like capitalize as many things. So I guess, what is your take on that? Do you see that shift or do you think it's like a fake shift or I don't know, what is your experience with just being like an activist and also being in that kind of entrepreneurial community where it is predominantly kind of conservative? I think there is a shift. I think it's very overestimated as to how fast we think the shift is happening though. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually, it's, it's not nowhere near the rate we're actually need to be at. And, you know, as someone that is doing these things and like, you know, going back to trying to grind, like. I'm having one moment where I'm talking to, you know, the president of Iowa State about inequality here and like how, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, the statement that Iowa State sent out at no point did it say Black Lives Matter or actually glorified the police. And I'm talking to her about it. I'm saying, hey, like, historically speaking, you know, like if we look at the, the history of police departments, they really were like slave patrols. If you Google, like if you're listening right now, you Google slave patrol badge. It's literally the exact same badge that you see cops wear. One just says cops and one says, you know, slave patrol. Due to that history, you know, generations of people that like dealt with police are telling their kids, yo, when you see the police, you know, like, you know, act this way, do this, make sure you're doing this. Like you, we, we have to educate our kids on how to act around police. Like if anything, it's for the safety of our, our children. Whereas, you know, people look at police and other communities as the protectors. It's a very different life. And we have, you know, a, a white, you know, a white woman as the president and I'm educating her. And she pretty much after I give her this whole spiel, she pretty much says to me, I wasn't talking to the black students. I was talking to the white students. And wow. you have these people like that are in these positions of power. And like at the end of the day, those are the people that are making their they're big part of the decisions that are made in this community. And for us, it's like, okay, there's more, there might be more black doctors, but who's running the hospital? Mm-hmm. Who's making the decisions and policies that shape our communities, right? Like we need to be in positions of leadership. And if you look at fortune 500 companies today, 95% of senior leaders of fortune 500 companies are white men. That last 5% women, uh, black, Latinos, Native Americans, everyone else that's not white men pretty much. And that's just 5%. Now, Fortune 500 companies, more than anyone else, are making the biggest impact in our communities and our economy. 
Like if you look at like an Exxon Mobil, if they were a country, they'd be one of the top four richest countries in the world. Like that really means something when it comes to like the impact they have in our communities. You look at climate change, like all the shit they're doing. If you live in a rich neighborhood, you're not going to feel the effects of climate change because yeah. if you did, your property value would be worth less, right? So for the amount of pollution that's produced by white communities, very, very small amount of it actually ends up affecting them. Whereas the majority of pollution ends up affecting people that never had a decision in it. And you see all these communities are affected by it. But for us, we really have a long way to go. And like, there are things in place that are like making that difference, you know, like National Society of Black Engineers, we're making a difference in the sense that we're trying to produce more black engineers and, you know, graduate 10K black engineers annually or 50K black and 50K. Uh, black, uh, we have a 50K coalition, which is pretty much a partnership with the National Society of Black Engineers, the Society of Women Engineers, and the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers to have like 50K engineers graduate from these diverse backgrounds. You have programs like Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And their whole thing is they're trying to uh, increase the amount of senior leaders that exist from diverse backgrounds. So they're actually on track to have created 10K senior leaders by 2025 that will be Native American, Latino, and Black. But at the same time, like, it's great that I can look at the vice president of uh, marketing for Adidas and anytime I see an Adidas logo on a a baseball jersey, I can say, oh, you know, someone that looks like me or someone that looks like us made that happen. But at the same time, like, there's so much more than that. Like, that's just the jersey. What, what are we talking about when it comes to everything else? Like, you know, like the fact that low-income communities have so many problems, like you're going to get gentrified if you can't, if you just have all these nice homes around you. Mm-hmm. Like in Iowa City, the neighborhood I grew up in, you go three blocks down the road and you have the football coach for the University of Iowa, the basketball coach for the University of Iowa. And then two blocks the other way, you have three uh, homes that are worth 300K. And if you look at the cost of all these property values around it, it doesn't make sense why you have subsidized housing right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of getting mad at this neighborhood because now they're like, well, they're, that neighborhood isn't worth much. It's bringing down property value. In due time, one of these rich people is going to come and buy it. And same thing, that's just how gentrification goes. They remodel it and then you know, they end up flipping it at some point for more money. But that shift is not happening as fast as it should. Like, there's such a long road ahead. And I, I think with this summer, I think a lot of people took it as a moment rather than like a movement. Mm-hmm. You know, like someone someone will post the Black Square, we'll talk about BLM, and summer was over and the whole conversation ended. They might have just maybe read a book, started a conversation with a couple friends and said, oh, you know, like we talked about this uh, topic and we had some conversations and here we are but is that conversation still going on and also that's a conversation what where are we doing again like what's the actions that are in place like there's such a long road ahead definitely and this is just something that i thought of after you saying all that when we were talking about how people in low-income communities strive to have their way out by becoming the star athlete the music artist whatever someone in entertainment or athletics instead of being those types of people, if you have a passion in that, but you're kind of realizing that maybe you aren't cut out to actually be the person that's playing the game, playing the music, whatever, why don't you switch that passion to working your ass off to be the leader of those industries? Because people are like, oh, but there's so many people of color playing in like the NFL or things like that. But I'm like, but look at their leaders. So people who are like actually funding all, like they're all white. They're not 
they're yeah, not we're all not like being black taught these things. They, 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 I don't even know if they have women in there, but yeah, they probably definitely don't. Probably, uh, I was gonna say, like, we're not being taught these things. Like, you gotta think about how many handshakes are you away from opportunity and information mm-hmm. when you're in a low income community? How many handshakes away are you from an NFL owner? It's very far, right? How many handshakes away are you if you grew up, you know, in that same neighborhood and you know you're just friends with their. A kid and you don't even realize that their parents doing all these things and to them they're like oh you're so-and-so's friend and now you know that person and you can get information from them Mm -hmm. learn from them and understand yo that's like a real possibility yeah we don't know all the career avenues that exist so sometimes for us it's like we might think something's our passion but in reality we haven't seen enough of the different possibilities that exist for us to truly understand like what is possible what exists for us right and i think that's the biggest issue it's like it's that it's that proximity from money, the amount of handshakes you are away from it. And then also when we do get around it, we feel nervous. We feel scared because mm-hmm. our whole lives, you know, we're folding money. Like we're, we're using cash. We're, we're trying to get it right away with our holding. So for us, we're like, we're not even sure how to approach the conversation because we, we don't know how, what questions to ask. Yeah. Cause at least for me, like I struggled a lot with like imposter syndrome and like things like that. And that's just like a whole nother conversation. But when you don't kind of grow up in the same way as the people who are like these leaders and like you don't relate to them because you just kind of see their wealth and you see their fame. Like what I've learned now is that there are still some people out there that are willing to help just because of wherever you came from. Don't be scared to be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. I have a passion to do this. Give them value first. Be like, is there anything that I can do for yours? Don't, don't be scared and don't think that they're going to turn you down right away because like I know for me at least, I know one day I'm going to be in a place of leadership and if I see someone that I'm like, wow, you remind me a lot of myself when I'm younger, I won't hesitate to want to help them. And a lot of people are so scared to like find that help because they think no one wants to help. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes we put it in our mind that like, you know, when I'm first meeting that person that I was mentioning, I had those commercial properties, 20 commercial properties, 20 uh, pieces of residential real estate. They also own a multi-million dollar business. They're also, you know, a professor for senior design here at Iowa State. And when I'm reaching out to them, like originally, like I think to myself, like, yo, this person is extremely busy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm wasting their time. I'm wasting their time. It eventually got to the point where like, I didn't realize how like willing to help this person was. They literally just said like, yo, like, yeah, just text me. Give me a call whenever. And I'm like, what? Like, there's no assistant, no nothing. Like I was confused. And like, you'd be surprised. But when people like, when you're able to develop a relationship with someone and understand that like, yo, they're actually looking out for you and want to see you do well, they're just not going to. There no no person that's successful is going to take the time to just pretty much fix your mindset for you. Mm-hmm. Your mindset is really like it's shaped by you at the end of the day and no one else. But if you come in with the right mindset and they see that, they're they're always willing to help. Right. Yes, they're busy, but they understand when they see hustlers, they understand who the hustlers are. Right. And they're going to take them under their wing. They're willing to always, like he's pretty much giving me advice on like buying a home right now. Because I'm actually looking to buy my first crib before I get out of college. And like, I have someone that owns 20 residential properties giving me game on that. Like who, who better to ask? But if I never asked, I would have went down that whole process by myself and who knows what type of mistakes I could have made, right? Like I had no experience buying a home. So I don't even know what I'm looking for. Right. I don't know what type of, uh, you know, like how I go about getting the right loans. What's a good price to pay for a home. How do I know that they're this home that they're trying to tell me is what 200 K is actually worth 200 K. Like, should I actually be putting in a bid for 150? Right. Things like things of that are like really crucial. But when you have someone that's been through it, 
it never hurts for you to just simply just say like, Hey, Jenny, like, I know you you're in real estate. Like, can you give me some game? Like I'm looking to buy this home. What do you think? Yeah. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario. You're like, Hey, I'm busy. Okay, cool. I'm gonna go talk to someone else. Right. And I save myself my time case. and I'm not even thinking about, Oh, is Jenny going to say this, this, this? Mm-hmm. No, I just asked. I know. And now I talk to the next person. Right. Especially people who grew up in the, like in similar ways that we have. So two things, I guess. So the first would be let go of that ego and let go of that fear of being turned down because if you aren't like, this is something like I, I like to listen to like motivational like speeches or whatever when I'm doing my morning stretches. And one of the things I remember hearing, I don't know who said it, but they said, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried hard enough. You haven't tried enough times for you to finally have that failure because you need to fail in order or like in order to, to like su- succeed. But you can't succeed if you're too busy being scared to even just try. So two things, when you're that person who grew up in like a low income community, one, like you said, you found that type of mentorship where you see where this person's at and you want to get their advice. So something that I had to learn as much as I love my family, as much as I love, you know, the people I grew up with, whatever, I really cannot be taking every little bit of advice from them if they're not where I want to be because they haven't been through it. They don't know what it's like to be where I'm trying to go. And that's okay. It's okay to not take their advice, take their love and their support. But as soon as you start hearing their fears and their failures project onto you, you need to block that shit out. And you cannot let that get in the way of your potential and your success because that's something I really struggled with. I always thought I had to be like a nurse or a doctor just because my whole family, they're in the medical like field. And I was so scared to do anything different. And so I just, I really was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to do what I'm, I, what I want to do that's going to make me happy. And I can't be taking advice from people who have no idea how to get to where I'm going to go. So I love how you are reaching out and looking out for people that can help you. And that's something I think is super important for people who have these dreams and goals. Don't take advice from someone who is only going to turn you the wrong way. For you, what was it that kind of like flipped that switch? Because, you know, you also mentioned that you weren't always like that. What was it yeah. that kind of like so, shifted your mindset? Like, honestly, this is like a whole nother conversation, but I'll make it like short. But I struggled a lot with depression. And because my my parents like they were an Asian family and they really don't believe in like mental illness like that. So me going to a therapist when I was younger was like not that that was not a thing that was it's like, why would you need to do that? You know, like you talk to me or like you talk to your friends. You don't need to go to a specialist. You don't need to be put on like antidepressants, anything like that. So what I had to do was find a different way to cope. And thankfully, I was able to turn myself and turn my mindset into looking for ways to, you know, read more into like psychology and like growth mindset. Growth mindset was something I was super passionate throughout high school. And then I'm a very big believer in everything happens for a reason. But by my senior year, I had this teacher, his name's, his name's Joe Bush, Mr. Bush. He's awesome. But he literally had a class that he, we were an experimental class and it was called like, like LTS leadership through service. And basically it was about community building. It was about how you can be a leader and not be a boss and how to basically live your life with this growth mindset of not feeling limited. And that kind of like turned me into a lot of like self-help books and like just ways that I can like turn my negative thinking into like positivity. So that's kind of like where that all stemmed from. And like, since then I've been able to like go to therapy and I'm such an advocate for therapy, but you know, therapy can only still get you so far. Cause if you're not ready to actually 
implement the things that you're learning, if you're not willing to do the work, because it's hard work to switch your mindset that you've lived with for fucking years. You need to be willing to let yourself be vulnerable and just, like I said, let that ego go and just leave whatever you thought you knew and just be open to changing your mindset. Yeah, most definitely. And like in our communities, like, yeah, very, very common among communities is, is not like, it's, it's, there's a stigma around therapy that it's not good for you. And hey, that's something you're going to have to overcome and like, just really just tell yourself like, yo, it's okay that, you know, I don't feel right. But the most important thing is like, I can talk about it. I can confine in people. I can find a therapist and things like that really do help for sure. And I think that's one thing that a lot more of us have to be like more open to, whether you are from a low community or aren't. Like, I think that's one thing for sure, just like across the globe that we need to start taking more seriously. Definitely. And honestly, this couldn't have worked out perfectly because my last episode was about generational wealth. But kind of like just overall, what would you say generational wealth means to you? And how do you want that generational wealth to translate into true generational wealth? Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, for me, like, again, my biggest driver is like, I sometimes like come off to people as like a little bit unemotional or like, you know, very monotone. But in, in reality, it's like, my emotion is what drives me like mm. my experiences Aww. as a kid till this day are like it's that it's that feeling of like knowing what it feels like to like go from house to house knowing like hey you know we might not have a meal today like that feeling till this day is like I want to be able to work so hard to the point that I can eventually for my parents my kids their kids can I, I can make sure that they're not gonna have to worry about that and what that means is that doesn't mean just say like, Hey, you know, it's all paid for. I'm gonna spoil you. But just saying that safety net will always be there. So for me, what I, my goal is with generational wealth, I think a lot of people don't do this. And it's something you should definitely do if you're listening and want to build generational for your wealth for yourself. What does generational wealth look like? Like, what is your finish line? Because in reality, like there are people that just make money their whole life and that's their whole life. But at some point, there is a point where you can say like both myself and everyone after me will be good but how much money is that? Like, do you, do you want to live off hundred K a year for the rest of your life? Do you want a quarter million? Are you content with 50, 20 K or like, what does that look like? If you figure out what that number is. And for me, like I'll say, I want a quarter million a year for me. I need to simply say, okay, if I have a quarter million a year, how much money total do I need to have in my investments in order to get that type of return. Yeah. Right. So take your number, whatever your number is that you're like comfortable with. And you say, this is my ideal lifestyle and divide it by 0 0.04. So whatever number that is, that means when you divide by 0 0.04, you'll need exactly that much money. And every time you take 4% of it, that means that 4% will translate to the amount you want. So for me, quarter million divided by 4%, I need 6.25 million. Mm -hmm. If I have 6.25 million across six different investments, and let's say just average is doing 10% a year. If I only take 4% from that 10%, I will have 250 racks for the whole year and I won't even be working. Right. The rest, that other 6%, I can just put back in. You're going to lose, you know, 2% due to inflation. So you, in reality, you have another 4%. So another 250 racks. You can take that, hire an accountant to invest the rest or just put it back in and invest it yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to get to that point and literally just set a rule in place for the family, like literally a legal contract that will not allow anyone in the family to take any money from that 6.25 million. That's smart. And if that's set in place, guess what happens? 
everyone in this family is going to have 250 racks to live off of. Mm. And that money can literally live there forever and just continue to work. And eventually it's just exponential growth. Yeah. At a certain point, if it's going to do 10% on average, at a certain point, that 6.25 million is going to be worth 10, worth 15, 20. At that point, you can stop wherever you want to do and just travel. Like what, what can you do with 250 racks? Right. You want to see the world go ahead. You want to start a business. That's a good safety net to start a business with. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, two employees off the bat right there, 100K each. Let's say you need two engineers. You can afford engineers. Or let's say you need like an assistant. That person will be affordable. Mm-hmm. A lawyer, whatever you need at that point is affordable. But the goal, it's, it's not about being out and about all the time. Like I don't want everyone to have to trade their time for money. So for me, generational wealth means freedom. Yeah. It means I can wake up today from you know 7 to 10 a.m., I'm working on a project from 10 to 12. I'm with my family, 12 to five, uh, doing whatever from five to seven. I can be with my kids and actually have a life where I dictate what I do when I want. Cause in reality, you have 24 hours in a day. You're going to spend eight hours sleeping. You got 16 hours left. You work the eight hour shift. You got eight hours left from that 16. All right. You're probably going to want to eat some food, you know, cook, do something that's going to take up an hour seven hours you want to you know work out take another hour you got six hours left and at that point you maybe you're just tired you want two hours to chill you got four hours left now that's your day that's the day where you feel like you have freedom you have four hours of freedom now Mm -hmm. now if you want the whole day to be freedom it's it's really up to you to really just build that type of wealth for yourself and it's not being selfish i think it's just being smart definitely and I love how you said it's not being selfish. It's being smart. I feel like people think that when you hear the word wealth, automatically they think millions and millions of dollars per person or something like that. I'm not saying, oh, I want to create generational wealth and I want to be like a billionaire or something. There's different types of wealth. And like, you know, that's financial wealth. That's freedom. Freedom is wealth. You know, wealth in the fact of like emotional, where you're in tune with yourself and you are self-aware and things like that. There's different types of wealth. And when I think of generational wealth, like it can't just be, you know, financial wealth. Yes, yeah, someone can have a bunch of money, but if they're not doing what they need to do with that money or with that freedom that you're kind of like giving them, then they're not going to have freedom in their lives. You know, like money doesn't mm-hmm. automatically equal freedom if you're not applying those types of like the growth mindset that you need in every aspect of your life. Yeah. If you can't quit your job today and live the exact same lifestyle with no worries, you're not wealthy. Mm -hmm. Like you're not wealthy. So for you, whatever your content lifestyle is, if you can do that without a job, amazing. But if you quit your job today and you're like, Oh, I got to change everything about my life. You, you weren't being smart about it. You depended on that paycheck. You, You weren't using that paycheck. That literally you were not because there's so many doctors like that might you know make 150k but as soon as they quit that job as a doctor everything changes right that's like the biggest reason why people don't quit their job sometimes even if they're unhappy is because they're like oh if i quit then like how am i gonna pay rent it's like well i don't know if you're living paycheck to paycheck like that like it's okay to live below you know what everyone else is living like i'm cool with having a very humble lifestyle with things like that and one of my biggest goals is to retire my mom before 30. And you know how many times I've had people be like, how do you plan to do that? And I'm like, well, honestly, I don't think it's going to be that hard because my parents already live such a very minimal lifestyle. For me to retire my mom, I can focus on retiring my mom with literally just giving 
five grand a month. It's like, that might even be more than they need, you know? And so like people like automatically think like, oh, retirement or doing whatever just seems so far-fetched, but they don't realize that it's not about me retiring my mom and then making her like live this crazy, like on a cruise, traveling all over the world. That's not like what I'm looking for. And I'm just like having her be able to like quit her job and things like that. I'm going to start with that. And then eventually when more money comes in, she can live that lifestyle, you know, like it's not like about just having this extravagant thing, like right off the bat. Most definitely. I think a lot of people, yeah, they get that apartment for 2000 a month when reality, they would have just been just fine with that apartment that was 800. Like for me, after I graduate, like I'm not going to be in the hood, but I'll be a block away from the hood, like right there. I'm not trying to pay 2000 for rent. If anything, I'm trying to get rent for cheap as possible. Mm -hmm. Like that's my goal. And then do that for two years. Imagine how much money you save, invest that money you save. But in reality, I don't think it's, it's again, like you made a really good point. Like it's not about how much you earn, it's about how much you're saving and how much you're spending. Because you, you look at a Roth IRA, if you, the max amount you can put in a Roth IRA in a year, I think is like 5.5K or like 6K. If you start at the age of 20 and put 5K away or the max amount away every single year, by the time you're 65, you'll contribute 300K to your account. At that point though, your account will be worth more than 1 million. Mm-hmm. And 6k isn't a lot like imagine you literally just saved you know 10k a year you can guarantee yourself being a millionaire right it might be even your 60s but if you want to do it earlier you can also you know save more invest more but people don't realize like you don't need everything that you see on instagram you really don't need that don't get caught up in the hype like don't let flexing be the reason you end up broke right facts Big facts. Like the amount of people I've seen say, oh no, I can't afford to do something like buy a book or like something like that. Like that's too expensive. Things that can literally help you create that wealth later on, but then be cool with like spending $200 on like some Jordans or like something like that. Like who are you flexing for? I mean, like if I'm going to buy nice things, it's going to be because I feel like I earned it. You know, like I like nice things. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to start dropping my money on like a Chanel purse when that's just like not, it's like not what I need right now. And I'm not here to impress people that aren't paying me. And that's the issue too with the social media, but also like credit cards, like people, when, when you swipe, you don't see your credit card get smaller. Mm -hmm. When you use cash, you, you, like you see your wallet get slimmer. Right. Like if anything, if you want to be on a budget, I'd recommend this. Like if your budget is like 200 a week, every Sunday, go to the ATM, withdraw 200 and pay everything cash. Next Sunday, if you have zero, like if you have zero dollars before that Sunday, you're not allowed to spend till the next Sunday, you pull out your 200. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy to save when you're just smart about it. But most people, they can't even tell you what they spent their money on in the past seven days and how much they spent. Right. It's and like a the little things too. Yeah. A lot of these kids too got their parents paying their credit cards and like, yeah, true. Like, could you even tell me what was on your statement? Can you, can you say how much your statement was? Right. Why it was with that much? Where'd every penny go? Right. But it's really psychology at the end of the day. Like you have to be accountable for yourself mm-hmm. more than anything. And you have to have the mental strength to just not want to be like everyone else. Like you don't need that. Is that Chanel bag really worth it? Like you said it, right? right. Is, is a different bag going to carry the things the exact same way? <laughs> right. Like, right. These, these might not be Ray-Bans, but best believe I see clearly. right Right? like I might not have some Jordans but best believe I can walk in my shoes right and still feel comfortable and I don't gotta worry about scrunching them up because they're expensive like if you gotta change the way you walk 
<laughs> while you walk with Jordans, you, you should not be wearing like Jordans. Right. Like, no, you should okay. save that money up. It's like, wait, can't, can't crease it. It's like, well, I mean, then you probably shouldn't. If you're worrying about creasing your shoe, then maybe, maybe you should yeah, be. Like, you're, you're supposed to be walking. You're not supposed yeah. to be like stiff with your legs while going around. <laughs> like, that's fine. That's a, that's a poor financial decision. That's right. what that tells me. This is why it's so important to start creating good financial habits and like money habits earlier on. So, because mm-hmm. I mean, like, even like, people who come right out of college and get their first big adult paycheck or whatever, and they start just spend like, oh, let's go get bottles here, do this, do that. And it's like, well, that's crazy because last year you didn't have the same check, but you're still living the same lifestyle because you feel broke all the time when you shouldn't be feeling like that. Just because you get more money doesn't mean you spend more money or it doesn't have to be if that's what you want to do, fine. But I mean, that's not what my bank account is going to be looking like, you know? That's facts. It's really about just the importance of being able to read it and like truly understanding why you spend your money on the things you spend it on. Right. Like you going out, are you really going out for fun or are you just trying to escape your problems? Right. Ooh, that's deep. <laughs> that's true. That is so true. And I feel yeah. like sometimes people get like that temporary fix of just buying materialistic things or like you said, to escape, you know, they feel like, oh, I'm buying this or I have this, so I'm fine. But those are just so temporary. And like sooner or later, you'll be like, fuck, why did I oh, buy yeah. this? Or like, it's like, like this immediate regret, you know? How many people say they want a, they want a Mercedes, yet they can't tell you anything about the interior of the car or have no passion for cars? Right. But I'm just like, okay, if you don't have a passion for cars, you can't fix it yourself. That's going to be more expensive to fix than, you know, a Toyota Corolla or a Camry. Yet you want it. Yet at the same time, like if you don't know anything about it, you're not passionate about it. Well, what does it do for you? It just gets you from point A to B. Right. Every other type of car does that. You just have a car that gets you from point A to B, but you paid, you know, 30K more for it. Yeah. Or you might even have a monthly payment, which that's a killer. You don't want to have that type of debt. Right. No facts. You know, for the people listening, don't get me wrong. If you like nice things, that's cool. But like for me, or at least like my suggestion, if you are balling on a budget, let's say that pick the one on thing. Budget. I know, right. Always. I will be balling on a budget till the day I die. Even if I'm like balling out, like actually balling out. If you have like, say you like nice cars or say you like clothes or you like eating out. If you like all those things, pick one, pick one to indulge in, you know, like ball responsibly. Like, right. Exactly. Ball responsibly. If you want nice clothes, but you can't afford to have nice clothes and eat out all the time, you got to choose. Do you want to spend your money on nice clothes and like use that as the thing that you feel like you can reward yourself with? Or do you want to have like a nice meal at a restaurant once in a while? And that's how you reward yourself with like, don't yeah. find 500. Like, don't do it just when your friends do it too. Right. Like set a budget. Like, right. Like if you like clothes, all right. Say you're only spending this much a month yeah. on clothes. And if your friends ask, Hey, I'm already, I already hit my budget. Like I can't do it. Right. Exactly. You turn people down. You can say no. Yeah. Another big fact saying no, that is a lot of power and don't feel bad about it either. Like I know like something that at first I was super scared about. I literally was like this year, I am like being a little more selfish. Like I'm not going to allocate my time just to anyone who isn't going to like, I guess, fill my bucket in the sense of if I'm helping you, it's going to make me feel inspired or feel good or whatever. If it's only draining my energy, like that's something I'm finally starting to say no to. And I've been trying to like be very, I guess, strict or, you know, very just I want to choose myself in like doing my routines, like my morning routines, nightly routines. Like I don't want to go out every single night just because all my friends are and then feel like shit the next morning. Oh, you yeah. have to say no. I have and, the same issue. Yeah. Like, I, I'm very like modest. So like when I turn people down, I always try to explain, okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm, it's not like I have anything against you. Oh, so, like, you're, I literally you're just, so much like, nicer to me than me. Uh, yeah. On my notes, I literally had a message I copied and pasted like last academic <laughs> year. 
I was a full-time student, you know, I'm the president of our Nesby chapter. Yeah. Uh, I'm on an advisory board for a school in Florida. And then I'm working as an ambassador for the Department of State for their Gilman program. So like, you I'm busy. Like, yeah, like the average time I spent on my phone a day was like one hour, mm-hmm. right? Most people was like, I spent like That's four or nice. five hours. So like, people be like, oh, let's go out to lunch. Let's go do this. And I just be like, hey, sorry, I can't. And then like copy and paste message. Hey, I'm currently doing all these things right now. And because I'm doing all these things right now, like I'm super busy. So it's nothing against you. And like, if I'm not reaching out a lot, it's like, hey, I'm busy. But, you know, just know I still mess. Like I still fuck with you. Like we're right. cool, all that. But like, I got tired of typing that same message all the time because mm-hmm. people sometimes get butt hurt. Like, like oh, you never that's do like, this. You never right. do this. And that's so I'm just like, like copy, paste, copy, paste. And just that, if, that if, really you, gets if, you, if that is an issue you have, that's like a, a solution I guess you can yeah. take to combat that. But I'm thankful that my friends definitely respect the grind. Cause I told them straight up this year, I was like, please do not ask me to hang out unless it's a Friday or Saturday, because any other day, like I, I'm going to be grinding. Like I don't, I don't want to be going out on a Wednesday or even just like chill at a house. I just don't want to take my time doing that anymore. And they know it's not against like nothing against them. But what I've realized is that people who are my true friends, they're going to get it. They're going to respect the grind. They're going to, you know, be supportive and be like, you know, Jenny isn't doing this because she thinks she's better than us or she thinks that we're not good enough for her, whatever it is. They're like, she's on her grind right now. Let's just give her 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 space and Friday, Saturdays, whatever, we make plans and it's all good. And the people who are getting butt hurt, I am coming to realize, I'm like, if you are getting butt hurt, then you don't truly understand like what my motivation is. They don't understand why I'm working so hard. And if they're going to get butt hurt because I don't want to spend a night out with them, then I guess it's just kind of on them. You know, I'm just kind of starting to finally be cool with letting people be angry for something that wasn't even really about them, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're not obligated to, you know, necessarily make people feel a certain way. Like, you know, as, when we have friends, we want to make sure, you know, our friends are doing good, they're feeling good. But, you know, you don't always need to put that on yourself. And you can't live a life where you don't have your own limits and your own boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So for you, if your ideal lifestyle means this is what you're doing for the next couple of years, cool, like do it. But if you never set those limits, how are you ever going to achieve those goals? Yeah. So if you're someone that's listening, and you're thinking like, hey, like maybe I should have those limits. Really just ask yourself, like, is is there something you want to achieve and it means that you got to change something about the way you're living? If so, like, let it be like, that's, that might have to be a sacrifice. Like the least you could do though is have that conversation. Let them know here, here's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. If you've done that, you've done everything you could on your part. Like there's nothing more to do, but I, I, I run into those same issues where, you know, there used to be relationships in the past where I'd spend hella time with, you know, certain groups of people and stuff like that. And like, they're like, dude, you just vanished. Like, where are you? And I'm just like, copy and paste. Yeah, copy and paste. Yeah, literally yeah. just copy and paste the same message. And it's just like, you don't want to have to explain yourself every single time yeah. when you run into someone. It can be kind of draining in a sense, but find yourself that support system that is going to support you that they are going to, you know, still want to hang out on those Fridays and Saturdays when you are available. And if it works out for them, great. And that's, that's what you do, but you, you have to have goal alignment with your, with the people you're around. Otherwise you're not going to hit your goals. Right. No facts. I mean, that's like another thing with entrepreneurship. People don't realize the sacrifice again. Like there is a lot of sacrifice and that is for anything that you want to do that requires an immense amount of work and discipline. And it's just not something that happens like overnight, you know, you, you have to pick and choose certain things and you have to change certain things that you do within your life. That's facts. That's very true. And, you know, I think for all of us, we've uh, really, I've seen it for you, you know, it's something we've talked about off the podcast as well. And it's something we all run into, but 
if you're like listening and yeah, like everything's Jenny and I are saying right now, these are things you can kind of expect to run into. So be prepared. Like if you're really like trying to set out to hit some sort of goal, whether it's generational wealth or like some sort of personal goal for yourself, like be prepared to like change the way you're living, like change habits, change, you know, your structure to some sense to do something that aligns and raises your probability of achieving that goal by mm -hmm. some percentage. Right. And just also a little disclaimer, because I feel like this could also be like taken the wrong way. We are not saying to cut off all of your friends and to oh, no. get like two hours of sleep, because I'm sure like you and I have both been there and done that with like running on like very little sleep. It's very important to sleep, you guys. Sleep and make sure you make time for that social aspect of your life. But don't completely cut everyone out, even if that means having to make a schedule and like call your friends like every one in like once in a while one hour facetime here and there or something like that you need to do that because you also don't want to sacrifice these relationships and then like make your way to the top and be like damn i'm alone <laughs> no one wants oh to no that's me. facts like if my friends to me are a priority but what i do is i schedule it yeah like it's planned in advance it's not just spontaneous and exactly. just like okay i have to choose between this and this now no like in advance i i knew i was going to see them at this exact time and like we we're going to do this thing together but like the people that are priority in your life like you have to carve out time because relationships yeah. are jobs at the end of the day like right. being able to maintain relationships with the people you care about you have to put time and effort and energy into that and Absolutely. if you're not you know being smart and like strategic about it then it just ends up being like a spontaneous thing where you know you might have to do your work so you have to tell no but if you make time for it and plan for it then it's much easier right i remember at the beginning i'd be like oh yeah like i'll put it on my calendar if you were someone who doesn't use a calendar often or like if you're someone who isn't necessarily like if you don't want to be an entrepreneur that's totally fine too like you know i'm not we're not saying like you would need to have this lifestyle or whatever but when you have a friend that is kind of living this type of lifestyle when you're being put on your calendar just know that is some real ass shit because everything that yeah. happens in my calendar means a lot to me and i want to make sure i get that done so when i'm like yes i'll put it in my calendar i'll do this i'll do that i'll literally put facetime I'll have like little FaceTime dates with like my girlfriends every now and then I'll put it in my calendar. And so I know I'm, I'm not going to overwork myself where I'm like, Oh, sorry. They text me last minute. They're like, Hey, like, are you still willing to FaceTime? It's not on my calendar. And I'm like, Oh no, sorry. Like this is where I need to stop because I already promised this time for them. And they mean a lot to me. And I want to like make sure I nurture that relationship. So when you're in the calendar, just know that that is some real shit. And your, your efficiency is key. And that right. it shows you. Like you gotta be efficient with everything you can do. And I genuinely believe everyone needs a calendar. <laughs> yeah, me too. Calendar saved my life. But let's just kind of end with this. With all the things that you have done in your life and all the things that you've been involved with, because clearly you have, you really have like done a lot of like, different things in your life. And you, I would say you're pretty well-rounded, you know, like you dip your toes here and there and you make sure you make time for things that you're very passionate about, which is amazing. And so like, what advice do you have for someone that is kind of trying to walk in your shoes or someone that is trying to strive to be someone in a similar sense to you? Not exactly the same, but you know? I would say, it, it sounds really cliche, but like self-awareness, it sounds really, really cliche, but like I say self-awareness because in life you're gonna fail, but if you're gonna fail at anything, fail at being yourself rather than like what someone expects you to be or you know what you think you're supposed to be for like from for your parents or for your friends or just like a societal expectation like if you're going to fail something fail at being yourself like if you your whole life want to do something 
really just say to yourself like yo like i know it might not make you know this group of people happy that i care about but i'm gonna do it like this is what i want to do and you have to live for yourself and like for me like that's something that i would say if you want to teach yourself that i think it's pretty hard but i would say do things like getting out of your comfort zone like imagine like i would say something as simple as asking yourself okay if i had three months to live what would be some things i'd want to do with my life yeah and it might be like some basic shit like you know oh i want to skydive i want Mm -hmm. to go see the coral reef but like imagine you actually write all these things down and actually accomplish them and then after accomplishing them you ask yourself that question again what what do what what type of things start to generate in your mind and then same thing again imagine you accomplish all those things and do it again eventually you get into a space where you really try to understand like why is it i want to do the things that i'm saying right now and you really get a better understanding of who you are and like what you want to do with your life but a lot of us don't think that fat like that far ahead because like we don't put time into context we think we're young we think we're invincible but like when you see you know like older folks like ask them like hey what do you regret not doing and like when you're making decisions that's also another thing ask yourself like where i regret doing this or i regret not doing this mm. but things like that i think are probably like the biggest guide i think there's no like secret sauce or anything like that in reality i think uh everyone's definition of success needs to be shaped by them rather than like someone else. Cause if you don't set your own finish line, you're really, you're running an endless race. I could have tears right now. That was <laughs> awesome. I, I honestly really love that. And I mean, even like you said, when you said it earlier about how people think you're not emotional, but you're self-aware enough to realize that it's not that you're not emotional because your emotions are literally what drive or what drive or what drives you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of like the same that people don't really realize it yet that kind of act emotional. They don't realize that, you know, any childhood trauma or things that they've been through, those are emotions and that's what drives them. Oh yeah. And that's the biggest thing with self-awareness. Understand yeah. how your trauma shaped you. Cause if you got trauma, like that shit could really just shape your life and set you on a route that you never actually want to go. And you don't realize it. Like for me, like coming back from, uh, you know, like a study abroad. So I like went to England for like six months. Going there was, I'd say the craziest part of it wasn't like being in the classroom. It was just the fact that I left this ecosystem where I was comfortable, mm-hmm. immersed myself in a new one. As soon as I got like comfortable, it's time to go back home. Mm-hmm. And like now you're seeing things from a third person perspective and you start to realize like, oh, like someone that had that type of upbringing might be affected by these things. Like, you know, going from home to home. Right. And is to not say it's like, yo, you know, like you're like not, you're not like all there, but in a sense to say like, oh, like how do you respond to adversity? That might change how you respond to adversity or like, what are your triggers? Like, is there certain things that push your button? If so, what are they and why do they push your buttons? And like little things like that. But when you reflect on those things, I think it's really huge. So when you say self, when I say self-awareness, I, I, I extend it to just like literally everything. And I think trauma is probably one of the biggest things. Cause if you can't, if you can't heal from that, it's, it, it might even end up manifesting into your relationships, uh, affecting your friendships, mm-hmm. affecting your children, you know, like your conversation with your parents, it, it does so much to you. I definitely agree with that. And first of all, thank you so, so much for joining us today, because this conversation just really hits home. And I really relate to a lot of it. And I know so many people that are going to be listening to this are going to feel like this is some real shit that I can imagine myself in because it's happened you know like it 
it's all about being able to be relatable. And I think that's something that I am so happy about having this podcast and having people who are authentic as you, you know, like guests like you, that you guys share some real shit. Like I said, I'm trying to have people like you on my show that are going to be vulnerable to share these types of stories and to show people that it's not all fun and games. Everything kind of has its reason for being what it is. And it's a lot of work and a lot of discipline. And, you know, I hope a lot of people can appreciate that and can relate to that because, you know, a lot of things that you said today were, it was just straight fire, (laughs) honestly. And like, this is something that I know for me personally, I will be listening back to all the things you did share because this is something that I want to focus on in my life with generational wealth and investing and like all those other things as well. But um, thank you for having me on here. It's like a privilege to be on here. I've seen some of the prior, you know, guests and amazing people. And if anything, I think that the fact that you're just authentic as a person, like for those of you that don't know Jenny, like outside of this podcast, like she's just a real down to earth person, just extremely authentic. And I think that's why you're kind of able to get so many amazing relationships. Cause like, you know, although, you know, like y'all see us talking, we knew each other prior to all this. And like, Jane's a really authentic person. Like, I think what you're doing with this platform is really big because it's really eye-opening for a lot of people that really don't have that behind the scenes view. And if anything, hey, keep it up. I'm excited to see like who's up next on here because I've been tuning in and it's going to be an amazing show. So everybody else that's listening right now, like y'all got to tune in Jenny because she's going to be doing much bigger guests than me in the next uh, couple episodes. Thanks. That means a lot. It really does. And I'm really happy we've been able to stay connected after Iowa State. But can you, for the people who are listening, because I'm sure so many people are going to, you know, hear your story and want to learn more about you and things like that. Is there anywhere that we can follow you, check you out and just kind of like keep up with what you're doing or anything that you want to share with us? Yeah, most definitely. If you just want to connect, chop it up or, you know, just reach out for anything. I'd say uh, if you have a LinkedIn, hit me up on LinkedIn, that'd be first and foremost. I check it like it's like the same way most people check IG. Uh, LinkedIn's biggest for me. Uh, social media, sometimes I delete it, so I might be off there. But if you want to follow me on social media, uh, just look up Ahmed the Nomad. That's my handle, but I'm not really on there that much. So I'd say if like you for sure want to have a combo, LinkedIn and email are top two. Awesome. Well, thank you again so, so much. And that's all we have for today, you guys. And thank you all for tuning in. And I can't wait for you guys to tune into the next episode dropping on March 3rd. And until then, I hope you all have an amazing, productive day. Thanks, guys.